Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the major motion podcast where we talk about the biggest and the best films coming to theaters and streaming online. From the San Francisco Bay Area, I'm John Negroni, back from my worldwide excursion. Happy to wow, be yeah. back. Yeah. What a good time. But I miss I miss doing this. I'm happy for you to be back, John. Well, you know, you I, I gotta start right away. Hmm. Will Ashton from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um mm-hmm. news and entertainment writer at Collider and you know uh, professional John Negroni as host replacer. Sure. Um you smack talk a movie last week called Bodies, Bodies, mm. Bodies. And I didn't smack talk it. You you smack talked it. Uh, I'm not throwing our special guest on the bus. He did, you know, he sure. came, he he spoke his piece and I'm he not, did a great job. Can't wait to have I'm him not, back. Yeah, I'm excited to have Michael back as well. Uh, I'm yes. not smack talking him either. I think you yeah. are uh Correct you, uh, about you have bodies, a bodies bodies being great. Well, I'm not even saying that. Um I'm never going to say that. But <laughs> I will say uh, I think you're making it out to be way more dramatic than it is. I it was spicy. It was, it, you know, I, there, I, you guys were pretty critical on the movie, which is your right. But I sure. was a little disappointed because I thought I thought Bodies, Bodies, Bodies was a really good time, and I sure. feel a little bit, you know, like ah, I wish I could have been there to defend my little baby, little baby. I baby. mean, I walked out of Bodies, Bodies, Bodies going eh, and it sounded like Michael also walked out of it going eh, and we both had a conversation. We're both like, yeah, I don't know. I mean. I, I didn't hate it. I think there's stuff to celebrate with the film, to be sure. But uh, I, it sounded like you had a much more uh, emotional reaction to the film, I which surprises me uh, because well, I know, feel I, like I it's it a, a type of film. Shake. Yeah, it, it's a type of film that I, I find it hard to really have much a reaction to, which I think is more damning than me saying it's bad or I hate it or anything, which I don't. I think it's just totally OK. Well, I think it's a good. I think it's worth checking out. Uh, you get my recommendation on the movie. Sure, uh, and we'll I want to hear. That. No, I want to hear why you are so fond of it because I really don't know. We don't. We don't have a lot of time, but I'll quickly well, say. Ahead. You know. I, okay. Well, you know, I, I, my my whole thing with the movie is just that I think that it's a lean, you know, tight and kind of. I think it's a little bit more biting than you guys gave it credit for. You kind of made it sound like oh, it's toothless and like. I kind of get where you're sure. coming from, but I just don't agree. I think that there are certain moments in that movie that do kind of like dig a little bit deeper than you guys were saying. Um, and mm-hmm. I actually, I, I don't know. I, even th- my main thing against the movie is that I find the ending a little bit too predictable. So, uh, you know, the wind out of its sails in that respect. But I don't know. There's still the way they execute it, I, I thought was uh, nicely done. So I, I came out of it finding it perfectly satisfying. But. I get that it's not it's not like the the big sort of like this is the movie for Gen Z. I don't think it's that. It's trying well, to be that a little bit too desperately. I, think I don't so. know. I mean, I, I don't really get the perception that it's trying to make a grand statement about a uh, generation below us. I don't think it even needs to make a statement about them. But I just don't really think it succeeds in what it's trying to do. Like, it's not really a horror movie. And the satire is kind of give or take like i think rachel sanote and lee pace are like on the right page with it and i think everyone yeah, else think sort, sort well, of varies i think they do a good job yeah I, I think pete davison understood the assignment i i don't know he's i don't know i think he's kind of give or take in general but i i don't really uh uh, fault him for what he did i just so you, feel like you already movie... got your piece on bodies bodies sure. bodies you're trying to come in here i'm just gonna say that i, I... liked it and i you know, if you, yeah, listeners, you just get a little counter, second opinion, but you, you, okay. you got your time. You got like an hour and some. 
I to, well, you talked about I'm leading. I'm leading you because I, I just don't really understand why you feel so defensive towards the film. And that's what I'm trying to poke at here. I guess it's like, less defensive and it's more of like, I can see the audience for this and I don't want to give like the, f- I want to give a little bit of a hint. Maybe there are some listeners who it might hmm. be up their alley. So I want to make sure that they're aware that it's not a universal okay. sort of like shrug that uh, I actually do think that it's uh, it's worth checking out for some folks. But I mean, I didn't watch the trailer, so I don't know how well the trailer will tell you if you're that person who would get something out of it, right, as the, opposed to somebody who might be more sort of like where you and Michael were at. The trailer for the film is much more annoying, I'd say. Mm. Like, I think it's not a good trailer. Uh, and it was the that. reason why I was initially kind of hesitant to watch the film. And then I heard from you and several other colleagues like, oh, no, no, it's better than trailer suggests. You should check, actually check it out. And I was like, OK, OK. Well, I didn't it's say that specifically. I know, okay. but you suggested as much while you were coming out of the film, generally kind of positive. You were like, yeah, yeah. you know. So, well, I don't know. I guess mm-hmm. that's a conversation we'll have to have when you have more time. Because I, I really just don't know. Uh, like, you were saying it's, like, secretly kind of brilliant to me off the air and, that's and different true, words. Yeah. There, well, I just there are don't really... things about mm-hmm. it, yeah. Yeah, no, I just, I'm really honestly just curious as to like why. It's not like I don't see it potentially. It's not like it's not there. I just don't think the movie really has a whole lot going on in many different respects. I just want to hear a little bit more about what you're seeing that maybe I'm just not seeing here. Well, well, for now, yeah, we'll have to agree to disagree. I did want to bring up real quick that uh, there are a bunch of other movies that have been coming out lately that we haven't been getting to, um, like Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul, which I know we talked about briefly when it premiered at Sundance, but yeah, we didn't really like uh, that. That came to like limited release, right? And so you know, I got some good next reviews, week. but next week, that okay, I, th- I thought that it came to some out. select theaters already. I don't think so. I think it comes out uh, in theaters and on demand starting September 2nd. Do you know where it's going to be on demand? It's going to be on Peacock. Oh, how fun. Okay. So, uh, that, that's a recommend for me. If you want to watch if you happen to have Peacock, <laughs> I'm sure we have at least one listener who subscribed. Uh, uh that's a fun movie to watch. Um, uh, we're checking out if you're bored. I, I remember f- that was the one we saw at Sundance, right? Yeah. Um, With, yeah, uh, it was a little, yeah, yeah. Sterling K. Um, Brown, mm-hmm. Regina Hall. Yeah. I, I remember being a little underwhelmed by that one, but I think it's worth, you know, seeing, uh, I'd be curious to watch the short film that was based on. I never got around to that. I just think it's funny. Uh, it's a funny movie. I, I still want to get around to Orphan First Kill, um, which yeah. I, I, th- I heard is like uh, this year's Malignant, which is all I need to know. I've um, heard Barbarian is going to be this year's Malignant, so that's interesting. I got a screen invite to Barbarian, but I'm not sure I'm going to be able to catch it. Um, hopefully. Hopefully I'll be able to see that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, with Orphan First Kill, I remember because it's a prequel, right? And then the new, the old Orphan, I remember seeing that in theaters and being like, you know, I feel like I like I had to like not talk to like my loved ones for a day after that. Like I kind of needed. Okay. Um, I don't know what that means, but uh, <laughs> all right. I don't know. This is just one of those movies that kind of like weirded me out, but mm-hmm. uh, in an interesting way, I guess. Uh, also, Prey. We never got to talk about Prey, which is like the yeah. big surprise streaming hit. True. Um, the Predator spin-off mm-hmm. kind of sequel movie with uh, a, a man, Amber Midthunder. I started mm-hmm. it and I wanted to finish it, but I, I got caught up by something. So I haven't had a chance to finish the movie, but you saw it? No, I haven't had a chance to because we haven't covered it on the show. Mm-hmm. So I never got around to watching. I, like I do want to see it. See it. Well, that's, here's mm-hmm. the thing is like, I was like, well, maybe we could talk about it. And you were like, it's too late. And then I was like, it is it's never late. too late. But um, sure. <laughs> maybe if the listeners show any sort of interest of like, Hey, you want to hear our conversation, even though it'd be super late. 
um, because right. of my honeymoon. Um, mm. I would be open to talking about it, especially since we have uh, not a, a super big Labor Day weekend coming mm. up in terms of releases, right? Sure, yeah. I mean, we were kind of going back and forth on what we should do. I'm pushing mm-hmm. for funny pages because I'm hearing that's actually really good. And I want to actually say some nice things about an A24 movie after being wow. lukewarm at best on men and bodies, bodies, bodies. So, and to I an extent, want- Marcel. Yeah, I, I don't feel super inclined to talk about Breaking. I think that's coming out soon. And then um, I'll probably watch the new Dragon Ball Super movie. But I mean, that's just not really a Cinemaholics. Sure. Number joint, one movie in America, at least for one weekend. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is. Well, it's Dragon Ball. What are you going to do? Uh, I don't know if you even watched Dragon Ball growing up. I don't think so. But no. Um, oh, yeah, because you didn't have cable. Huh? Uh, I don't think it was on any. No, I think it was on. Uh, I think it was on like. Uh, one of the, the stations I, I had Cartoon Network. I don't. I don't think it was. Oh, was it anywhere else? Know. Yeah, I don't so. know. Uh, there was also like the invitation. There was fall. Yeah. I heard um, the invitation was pretty bad. Um, mm-hmm. Saloon or Salam? I do want to see. Um, I do too. I heard that is uh, quite mm-hmm. good. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, I don't know how to watch it though. <laughs> so I don't know. It's uh, IFC, so like I would have to probably reach yeah. out to them about screenings or whatever. I. I know we're going to be playing it, Saloom, at the Harris Theater pretty soon. Nice. So I'm excited nice. to see it there and then. Lots of stuff coming out, but let's talk about the movie that we're here to talk about. Um, this week's big release, and by big release, I don't mean big in terms of like box office or cultural attention, <laughs> because it kind of came out to a bit of a whimper. This is a, this is a movie is called mm. 3,000 Years of Longing. Um, yeah. 3,000, like it maybe made $3,000, uh, and I'm obviously joking, but off of a $60 million budget, this movie made $2.9 million, which I'm sure we both have our theories as to why that is. It's a little bit of a surprise and maybe it isn't for some considering this is the follow-up for George Miller, the director of some of, some of the more interesting movies of the last 30, 40, 50 years, um, this is his latest film since Mad Max Fury Road, considered by many, including me, to be one of the greatest action films ever made. Um, probably the best action film of the 21st century, at least um, English language. And I'm, I know, like, we've been, we've been waiting. It's been, you know, six years, seven years since Mad Max Fury Road came out. Seven, yeah, the clean seven. And it's, this movie is very, very different from... I mean, well, let's get something out of the way. People have been like, this is so different from Mad Max. It's like, yeah, it's George Miller. The guy's been making, like, he's made every kind of movie under the sun. Like the, he's the director of happy feet. He's the director. I was going to say, yeah, yeah. He, I mean, you think, the Mad Max movies were his first movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think anyone, because, uh, Mad Max Fury road was his first film since happy feet too. Do you think anyone walked into Mad Max Fury road being like, this is quite different than happy feet too. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, well, especially because he was somebody who, you know, he, he did, he did Bay pig in the city right in the late nineties. Then he did two happy feet movies. And it really just mm. felt like the guy was like, okay, I, you know, he's in the kid movie zone now. Like sure. he's like firmly supplanted as that he did babe. Uh, he wrote, he was the screenwriter and producer of babe. He didn't direct it. But, I, you know. Uh, would be remiss if, you, if I didn't mention Lorenzo's Oil, which I came, I believe, think I think it came out either between uh, the gap between Babe and Happy Feet, or like shortly before. I think it was right I, before I Babe. The, the one he did in between Babe and Babe Pig in the City was Forty Thousand Years of Dreaming, which uh, was a uh, documentary. Um, which I, I, I like when I heard Three Thousand Years of Longing, I was a little bit like, is this mm-hmm. going to be playing off of the documentary? I haven't seen it, so I don't right. know much about it at Neither all honestly I. yeah um 
But yeah, also Witches of Eastwick. You know, I, I don't know. It's just like the guy's done. He did, didn't he do like a Twilight Zone segment at one point, like the movie? Yeah, I think he did one of the segments in the Twilight Zone movie, the infamous Twilight Zone movie, for reasons we yeah. don't need to discuss. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, good. We'll we'll leave it there. Actually, I haven't seen it, but um, yeah, I think I know what you're referring to there. But yeah, so George Miller, very interesting directors, made some of the best movies uh, of recent years, uh, or I guess like, uh, I mean, I look at like Mad Max 2, Mad Max Fury Road, and the first Happy Feet as really terrific movies. And I think you're a fan of Bay Pig in the City, aren't you? Oh, you better believe it, Buster. <laughs> I he's love got that Furiosa movie. coming out, uh, mm-hmm. not next year, but the year after. So what is going on with 3000 Years Along? Is this a blank check movie? Absolutely it is. Yeah, of course it is. This is the type of film you get to make when your previous uh-huh. film is Mad Max Fury Road. There you an go. Oscar-winning darling. I don't actually know how much of a box office hit it was. That's, so that's kind of where I'm at. It's yeah. like, was it really a hit? I, I mean, I don't think so. Let me look it up. I'm not sure. But I mean, widely considered, if not the best, one of the best action blockbusters of the previous decade. Like, it almost undeniably... Okay. It, it, 375 worldwide, 375 million, which off of a budget of probably around 200, um, mm. if you count marketing. So it made money. Yeah, but it wasn't I was going like, to say. I, I think to what you're saying, it's like the acad- it's like the awards attention and the acclaim more than anything, yeah. maybe? Yeah, I mean, undeniably became a huge hit. I feel like, I don't know how it did on home video per se, but I mean, clearly people really, really respond to that well with the notable the black and white cut probably got them yeah. the Chrome cut or whatever mm-hmm. it was probably got them some extra residuals. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I was going to say with the, the noted exception of our mad men, men co-hosts, Mike Overholz, yeah. who apparently doesn't like Mad Max Fury Road for some reason, uh, reasons I still haven't quite figured out yet, but that's neither here nor there. I so wanted the, to have him. The inside joke there, it's not that he, yeah. basically, we watched Mad Max Fury Road together, uh, Mike and I, in 2015. We walked out of the theater and I remember being like in a spell. Like I was I was just like entranced with the of movie. Course. I was like, Mike, that movie was like a life affirming experiment. I like my perception of action cinema has probably been forever changed of like what's possible. And I remember just Matt like looked at Michael, looked at me and was like, Yeah, it was okay. You know, he was just he wasn't like super negative, but he was just kind of like, I don't know, I don't know how I feel about it. And so I've always given him crap about it and I've always said like Mike hated Mad Max Fury Road, even though he was more of like how you are with bodies, bodies, bodies. So that's uh, the joke. That's the now mm. you have something you can bring up with him next time oh. we're doing Mad Men Men, which is available on anyway. folks.com weekly podcast mm-hmm. where we discuss the AMC series Mad Men, which aired from 2007 to 2015. There you go. Uh, okay, well, I'm the wiser, I guess, for knowing that little tidbit about your I've life. I'm holding and it back life. from you, and I'm tired wow. of you being in the dark. You deserve the light. Okay. I appreciate it. But in any case, yeah, I mean, like what you're saying, I think my experience watching Mad Max Fury Road was very similar to yours, I think. I mean, obviously, I was a fan of the first three films. I know people don't really love the third Mad Max. It's I still okay. like it fine. Beyond Thunderdome, yeah, it's, it's, it's fine. Yeah, it's its own uh, thing. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, obviously at the time, people were like, oh, you know, like Mad Max 1 really solid indie uh, Australian uh, post-apocalyptic uh, thriller there. Second really one, impressive like, for its like backstory yeah. and how it was made and everything. 
Of course, yeah. Second one was really like where he stepped up, and everyone just kind of assumed that would be like the masterpiece of the franchise. Uh-huh. Third one kind of withered, and then you know, obviously George Miller wasn't super happy with that, like how that one turned out for uh, what was ultimately more personal reasons. Uh, Hol- so and he's a New Zealander, but like I'm sure like a Holly or sorry Australian, but I'm sure somebody came up to him and was just like. George, Hollywood's got you on the ounce, but we need you need a ringer. You need something to come in, you know, like the big cigar. And uh, George Miller, you know, I can't do an Australian accent very well, but he's probably just like, well, I've got this pig. You know, that's British, but whatever. <laughs> the joke is that he probably the idea for Babe. He was just like, this is this could be how I get back into into the business. And he was right. Babe was a big hit. Yeah, I mean, certainly, uh, especially for him as a producer for that first film. Yeah. Um, but in any case, uh, yeah. And so, screenwriter. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. Comes back really swinging with... Uh, I mean, I know people like the first Happy Feet. Won an Oscar. Uh, you know, uh, I, I don't remember loving that movie. I don't really love, remember loving either of them, but I kind of just respect what they are. And yeah, I don't love them either. But yeah, I think that they're like, they're better than they should be. That's kind of where I'm at with them. I guess I don't know. I need to rewatch him. I guess I don't know. I don't really have like a firm opinion on him. I just remember not being super wowed by by either of them. But I kind of I admire the gusto of the second one, which is a little bit more of a Miller joint, uh, in the same way that I guess Three Thousand Years of Longing is. Um, but in any case, uh, yeah. So you know, comes back into the fold with you know Mad Max Fury Road, phenomenal critical awards hit. I mean, obviously you know box office you know give or take but you know obviously it was like george miller is back in a big way this is like a true visionary making arguably the masterpiece of his career with that film what is he gonna do next and he's got this project that you know another passion project of his uh and he cites you know i'm gonna cash in my cachet my clout to make this uh weirdly kind of uh you know intimate and scholarly tale of a woman finding a gin. That's right. Yeah. So uh, 3,000 years of longing, which is stylized 3,000, two separate words spelled out, uh, which took me a while to get. Um, it's it's like to what you're saying. It's a dark fantasy. It is adapted from a short story that came out in the 90s called The Gin in the Nightingale's Eye by A.S. Bias. And it it really is like sort of like if you look into it's it's really more of a collection of short stories i should say um which kind of follows along with this movie this movie is kind of a collection of short stories in cinematic form um it's based on that but i don't think it, it's not it's not like directly it's sort of more um inspired by if that makes sense um is so i think that they'll like if they had had oscar attention on this i don't know i don't think they do but um i think this would go as like an adapted screenplay more than anything else uh, miller did yeah. write the screenplay or he co-wrote it with uh, augusta gore mm-hmm. and i i'm gonna say it's this you know even though it's based on that it's very original like it's it's definitely like Watching it, I was getting um, vibes of like, this is like an interesting way to sort of do like an Arabian Nights sort of thing where yeah. you, you know what I mean? Like, but in a contemporary fashion, but like hearkening back to that, uh, like mm-hmm. Middle East, uh, a lot of the movie takes place in like different eras of like Istanbul, Constantinople. Yeah. And even down. Uh, you, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, even down to the title being kind of a play on a thousand one nights to an extent um arabian nights yeah yeah all that stuff Mm -hmm. um 
and it, it I think it I think it works in terms of like setting the mood, setting the atmosphere. I got to say, though, when the movie started, I was very like uh, and, and I should say, like, I didn't know anything about this movie going in, except I knew Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba were in it. I had caught a glimpse of the trailer, but I didn't watch it. I kind of la 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 during the trailer. So I didn't watch it uh, for I think it came before Elvis. And so when this movie came on. And we're kind of like with Tilda Swinton and she's like a meritologist or whatever it is. Like she loves stories. And I was like, oh, no, I feel like George Miller is like he made a movie about stories and it's going to be kind of doing the Game of Thrones season eight thing. And it's going to just be like overly cheesy and schmaltzy. And I, I don't know. I was getting pretty iffy vibes. The movie turns on its head, though, when Idris Elba does come in as the djinn and starts telling her stories. And that's kind of the basic construction of the movie. We go to like fantastical places and we hear these very engrossing stories about uh, different characters that this djinn is interacted with. And as the audience, you're wondering, you know, what are the wishes that Tilda Swinton's character is going to make? Because the stories he's telling are essentially cautionary tales. He's trying to help her decide what to wish for or trying to convince her that she should wish for something because the consequences of what he's gone through have been very traumatic for him. Um, Being stuck in a bottle and he can't sleep. He's just perfectly aware as a genie, you know, it kind of makes Aladdin all the more horrifying uh, when you think about it, like the Disney Aladdin. So that's the construction of this movie. Uh, it, it ultimately comes down to sort of a jaunt through time. And I, I didn't have expectations for this. I kind of had an idea that it like it might be kind of interesting. But I watched the trailer with you before we started recording. And I can imagine some people being really disappointed by this, like watching that trailer. The trailer makes this look really different from what it is. Like a whole different attitude, a whole different sort of like energy and this is not a movie with a ton of energy is this kind of like a listless atmospheric mm -hmm. mood piece if anything else i mean the trailer as i was saying to you before it it makes the movie look a lot more mad as it were uh you know it it makes the movie look like what people thought george miller's follow-up to mad max fury road would be at least in terms of tone smart Um, marketing if you just wanted a splashy like opening weekend but like Mm -hmm. the word of mouth i'm sure was kind of like this is boring this is well you know i heard that this is like a fairy tale for adults that's like based on existential dread which Mm. to me is great i want something like that that's interesting Mm -hmm. yeah no i mean i think the 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 buzz sort of died a little bit when it premiered at con to a sort of I don't know if it was more muted or mixed, but it's somewhere in between there. Like, I, I think you, when you hear this movie is going to premiere for an audience, you kind of expect the response to be like uproarious. You know, yeah. it's George Miller, he's back seven years later, following it was up Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah. yeah. And the I response mean, it standing, is kind of more, It got a standing yeah. ovation, to be clear. True, but that's con. It either gets a standing ovation for 15 <laughs> yeah. minutes or it gets booed. Or both. Or both. It doesn't Usually. just get. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, as far as the Cannes reaction to the film, it it did kind of spell a worrying sort of like, oh, Mm -hmm. this isn't really garnering much of a response. Like the reviews weren't outright negative, but they weren't exceptionally positive. It was getting like uh, my feed. I was seeing a lot of like on Letterboxd, the people I knew who went to Cannes or Cannes, uh, was like, yeah, three out of five stars or like maybe 3.5 out of five stars or like 2.5 out of five stars, like sort of good or maybe in the middle sort of responses like it's not 
the type of thing you want to see from the return of George Miller. Like you expect something a little bit more divisive at least. And it was just yeah. kind of getting like shoulder shrug reactions. Like it was like, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it's neat. That's kind of like the response. Like yeah, it's, it's neat. For sure. What it sure. Is. My, my tweet review of this was like, I think this movie belongs in a museum. Um, because Which, yeah, I don't know. It what that has means. moments. Like there, there are certain things that happen in this movie where I'm just like, man, that's cool. That's just what an awesome visual or like what a very like, like engrossing narrative that we just went through. Like I feel really sucked in, but then has other moments where I'm just like, this is very nice. This is very much like, you know, like I, when I'm at like the MoMA, you know, the Museum of Modern Art in San Francisco Mm -hmm. and I'm just, you know, I go, I wander into like where they're showing a screen and it's like for five minutes, I'm just sitting there and I'm just like, that's neat. Uh, you know, it's just, I, I don't think this movie comes together. And I think the last 20 minutes are bad, like just straight up bad. Yeah. I just, I can't get behind the direction this movie goes in. I mean, it just like, I'm like this, this is not, it, it, it does has like 10 endings and I don't think any of them are good. Um, the very, very last shot, I kind of like the conceit of it more, but like to get there, I'm just like, this was kind of pointless. And uh, yeah, I, I think the best parts of this movie are like the middle, which is super rare for me. I don't like the beginning. I don't like the end, but I really like the middle. What about you? So I'm certainly coming out of this more positive than you. I don't think this is like a full out win as far as like, I think inherently a film it doesn't like grant this is- all your wishes. Sure. If you want to get cheesy on me, a little corny, I guess, too. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it's not that it leaves something to be desired. It's just that doing a story like this, where it, it is sort of a, a rushing nesting doll of stories within stories within stories within stories to tell a grander story about people who have heard so many stories or lived through many stories, uh, it, it can get a little uh, caked in the fold, I guess, as far as what it's trying to do, even down to the point where it kind of loses its structure. Like the, the, the movie's book ended by Tilda Swinton being the narrator, but then uh, Idris Elba's Jin character basically becomes the main character for the majority of the story, uh, which I think ultimately leads to maybe my biggest complaint, which is that I think in order for this movie to work a little bit better, I think we need to have a firmer understanding of Tilda Swinton's character. I understand why she's not like fully developed in the early segments. Cause she's a character who's inherently holding things back for her own emotional good. And so I think as the film goes along, we kind of get to know more about her, but I agree at like the, the fumbling and the wobbliness of the third act, I think ultimately fail her character more than anything else. But I will say that I, I certainly was pretty engrossed with this movie throughout. And it was just such a relief to see a movie that was undeniably the work of like one of our great filmmakers. Like even when it is the more mundane stuff, just seeing a guy like George Miller, having such a bold, uncompromising vision for this film, and also just seeing this in Dolby on such a big canvas and almost feeling like I wandered into like a different universe when I saw this in Dolby. Like, how is this 
like how am I able to see this movie, a movie like this, on a screen so big at like a local theater? It just kind of felt like I cheated reality in a way to see a film like this. I don't know. I mean, I'm not going to say everything works. There's certainly more stuff I can complain about, but I think I'm just kind of grateful that Miller really had the opportunity to get $65 million to get weird and also kind of personal with a film like this. It's just, it's refreshing. Like you said, it's, it's nice to see a big outlandish bombastic movie like this that's also tenderly for adults it's just very refreshing like i said yeah it's not trying to it's not trying to pander it's not trying you know it's very much of its own sort of cloth yeah it's very much uh yeah sorry not a what i was gonna say it's it's not like aspiring a franchise either or anything like that it's not like we're gonna get like 50 3,000 years of longing movies. It's a very standalone, yeah. lovely little <laughs> movie. Yeah, 4,000 years of longing. And Idris Elba's right. like, that happened. Yeah, um, I got a story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Record scratch, freeze frame. That's me. You're probably wondering how I got here. Um, I think it's interesting that this movie came out around the same time as the new Sandman series on Netflix. Because this is really like Neil Gaiman. You know, where... Uh, specifically Neil Gaiman, not just Sandman, but also American Gods. There's like a lot of that. There's like merging of sort of like, what if the, you know, the mythology of, you know, uh, not not like the usual, like, yeah, we've seen a lot of like Greek mythology, Roman mythology, but this is way more of like Middle Eastern mythology, uh, Turkish and all of that. And I like that it's just sort of like bringing those things into our world without making a big deal about it like because there are a lot of moments when characters are just like oh a djinn okay you know it's not sort of like oh my gosh you know slapstick you know tilda swin doesn't see him and just you know tries to hide him from like the hotel guests like there's none of that weirdness like it it's just sort of playing it straight and there's one scene of that but not like prolonged they, they kind of get that out of the way pretty early on Sure, sure. Yeah, it's and, and they just let like she buys into the whole premise of it very quickly. And there's there's a reason like they kind of explain like her experiences up until this point. Um, I do kind of like agree with some of the criticism about the Tilda Swinton character, as you sort of have alluded to. I like her a lot in the the middle section when she's engaging with the djinn. She shows a lot of just like she's very surprising as a character. She's she's not super predictable. The way that she's engaging with him is so interesting. But then there is a decision that she makes that seemingly just comes out of nowhere. There's a story that the djinn tells that I think is really haunting. And there was something really like upsetting about it in a way. Uh, it's one of the last stories he tells. And for whatever for a reason that like I think this movie doesn't hold your hand and it's trying to sort of like do something that you have to arrive to your own conclusion about on your own time like i think it sort of demands a rewatch in that sense and i think it could it is that kind of movie that would probably be richer on a second or third watch because i feel like there are things i missed with this character that would crystallize otherwise um but i mean the downside of course is that i think on the first watch it just didn't to what you're saying it wasn't a full-on win it didn't it didn't sort of like fully pull me into its bottle like i just kind of had a cold feeling to it by the very, very end. And I'm sure there are like going to be think pieces and somebody's going to be like, actually, okay, here's what this meant. And this is why this happened. But uh, in terms of like experiencing the movie, I would just warn people. It's like, yeah, it's worth your time. Like you should see it if you're a cinemaholic and you love your movies and you just want to watch the big thing on the big screen. This is one of those movies that is worth seeing, but it's definitely like it requires patience. 
sense. Sure. I mean, I will certainly agree in that, like, if you are someone who complains like, oh, everything is just like a reboot or everything's just like a sequel or whatever. Nowadays, we, Hollywood doesn't green light, you know, original movies or anything at this point. Please see this. At the very least, even if you don't like, even if you don't think you'll like it, this is the type of movie that you should be supporting. And I don't think you're going to, you know, uh, not get your money's worth. I think you're going to get something out of this, even if you don't love the movie, because you're experiencing, you know, George Miller just kind of doing his thing in a way that we haven't seen from him. You know, this is the first original movie of his that isn't animated, uh, I think, in like 30 years or something like that. It's it's been a long time since Miller has had a canvas like this to really play with uh, as, as far as his own particular vision. But right. yeah, I mean, as far as uh, Swinton's character is concerned, like I said, I've sort of voiced my general sort of complaints as far as how it's told. But I do agree with you that I think what I find sort of beguiling about this movie is that it's telling the, it's, it's telling a familiar fable, but through a character who obviously is very knowledgeable knows that every um genie gin fairy tale is a cautionary tale as she even says uh at the one point in the film and it's about a character not exactly getting what she wants but learning to want in general or in this case long through a character who has lived multiple lives and kind of learned some learn learn truths in a very hard way and obviously a very magical way as well but i i think what really impressed me uh walking out of this film outside of all the millerness of the film it was idris elba's performance i don't know if you're going to agree yeah. or disagree but i feel like he has such a tricky balancing act and that's not to um downplay swinton's performance i think that's also good if anything like i said i think it's any faults they have with that come to the character but uh, I feel like Elba has such a tricky balancing act to do with this film where he has to acknowledge the sort of, you know, mystical quality of this character, someone who can literally grant any heart's desire at a moment's notice, but also someone who is weirdly sort of grounded. He's someone who has lived multiple lives, lived many, many regrets, someone who has a very, you know, knowledgeable way of existence, but, you know, trying to find that balance between someone who can you know be like multiple feet high and you know grant all these magical things but also have this weighted conscience is is not a very easy thing to do and i, I really admire the way elba is able to sell it in this film i think it's key to why i ultimately think the movie works yeah the chemistry between him and swinton is undeniable in this because you spend so much of it just watching these two characters talking and it, it, to what you're saying, the part of that balancing act gets really hard when you have a character who is flashing back to a version of himself that came before a lot of trauma. It's like, how do you pull off being this fantastical being who has been through all of these different things? I don't think Elba constantly nails it. There are a few times when I'm like, I, I feel like the, the performance is lacking and maybe like some small detail. But I mean considering the weight of what he had to do here, I'm nothing but impressed, especially with how Throughout all of these stories, his character does have that sort of muted, you know, sex appeal, but also that sort of like muted res reticence to it all. Like he, he's in a world where and it's not just him, but it's like all of the characters treat the, the fantastical and the mystical and what's new and what's different as just facts of life. Like, OK, we're going along with this now. And there's something just very relatable and unusual about that for a movie. We, we usually like I was saying before, we usually spend so much of the movies that we watch where characters are reacting and trying to grapple with and accept things. But this movie kind of plays at a 
a perk of human nature or a quirk of human nature that can be very true, which is like we adapt very quickly to the fantastical, the unusual things. There's even a, a moment that illustrates this when the djinn learns about how television is. And he's a little bit, you know, like oh, a little bit surprised at first, but he picks it up quickly. And I think that there is just like a running theme of that here that is just interesting to me. It, it does pull back into the gaming thing that it, it just makes it so that you can focus instead of like focusing on like, the conflict being this, the conflict being like characters in different worlds, which we've seen so much of. Instead, the conflict can instead rest on like, well, what does it mean to be like lonely? What, what does it mean to like have a companion and, and how they can be there for you? What is love? Like, how does love actually like interact with like a lifetime or several lifetimes? Way more meaty, interesting stuff. I just personally wish that the last 20 minutes delivered on that because i just and in my opinion it didn't on the first watch and um i will say that this movie had me when we see uh, a version of solomon playing the what ends up being like the main theme the jinn's theme of the movie with this like amazing instrument and that was when the movie hooks me that was like for me i was like this this is the movie like i love this this is so good this is that uh, haunting theme has like really stuck with me. I can still hum it. Uh, and it's, they kept, they come back to it in like different ways. And I love the idea of like the tune sort of like changing in small ways, like over the course of the movie, uh, really well done. I think. Yeah. I mean, um, I, I mean, I will want to address like the, the last 25 minutes or so. Cause I, like I said, I, I, I think I admire the intent of it. I don't think it necessarily nails the execution of it, but I kind of come around on both the ending and the film in that last scene. And I, I don't know how much I can yeah, really I say kinda, about it. I kind of get, there was something about it where I was like, okay, like you got me there, <laughs> you know, like, uh, especially cause like, there's just like this little moment between one character and a couple of kids where I'm just like, that's nice. But like, there were other elements like leading up to it where it's like, like a couple of old ladies and like, I don't know. It was just stuff. I was just like, what are we doing? <laughs> like, what, what is this? Uh, yeah, I mean that's where like the the political allegory of the film kind of comes into it, especially given the place where it goes at the end. Uh, you know, to kind of dance around what happens at a certain point, and it's yeah. one of those things where it's like I obviously understand because the film takes place in the present. I guess we should note that like COVID's a thing in this world. They don't really talk about it, but it is. Yeah, and like obviously are wearing masks. Yeah some other political things are happening in a certain country uh, that they go to. And it's like, I feel like Miller's like, well, I have to kind of acknowledge this. Like, it's not something I can kind of dance around. If it's a film that's intentionally about time and place. And in this particular case, like it's obviously purposeful in how it's telling it. But I think the movie is so busy that it doesn't really have as much time to let that stuff breathe. So when it comes into the film, it feels very abrupt and it just, it's just, it's just kind of dropped almost as quickly and so it's one yeah. of those things where like i admire it for doing that i think that's the thing that's the wobbliest about is just like okay i understand why it's here i i i think emotionally and thematically it makes sense but it just doesn't in terms of execution story fully land unfortunately which is a shame because I, I think it, i admire the film for being willing to go in that direction even if it is a little flat-footed um but yeah for me as far as the end is concerned and i, I don't want to give anything away but i just really admire how the film acknowledges the idea of this like we can kind of make our stories for ourselves and like we can kind of make the meaning that we seek for them in a way that's just very elegant and very lovely as i said before and it just i think it's a very 
tender movie. It's something that I feel is very earnest uh, in a way that I, I, I can understand some people are almost kind of taken aback by that. There, it, I think there's a desire now for more earnestness in our art. And I really admire Miller for being willing to just kind of be uncompromising in many respects. And yeah, I mean, for as much as we can complain about different things that the, the movie does and do as well, I think just what it does well is so enrapturing and so appropriately kind of magical that I, I don't really even want to acknowledge those as much. I just kind of wanted to celebrate the fact that Miller got to make a movie like this, something so near to his vision, something that is, like I said, uncompromising. And I think he, you know, for all his faults, I think he ultimately pulled it off more than he did in here. Yep. Also glad to see uh, John Seal back. You know, he also hasn't been yeah. a cinematographer on a project since Mad Max. Um, yeah. He's a bit he... of a legend. You know, he's made mm-hmm. some truly terrific films. Some of like Dead Poet Society is one of my favorite films of all time. Sure. I don't know about you. I um, like that movie a lot. I love Pierre Weir. Uh, yeah, I hope to see one more Pierre Weir movie, uh, but it sounds like he's not going to uh, come out of retirement anytime soon. But yeah, John Saley came out of retirement twice, both for George Miller, previously with uh, Fury Road, now with this. But yeah. unfortunately, he's not shooting uh, Furiosa. He is not. He's not. But uh, yeah, because I mean, I feel like toward the end of his career, he kind of, you know, since Spanglish, you know, I think he did like Poseidon and that Prince of Persia. I don't know. He was just, he, his career kind of like fizzled out, which was sad, but uh, certainly uh, one of the legends. And uh, this would be a fantastic movie for like a fantastic epitaph for him. Um, but yeah, so I guess we can play the Rotten Tomatoes game. Last thing I'll say is like a, not a long movie. It's only uh, 108 minutes. Get pretty breezy. I think that's like what, an hour 48. So I thought it went by quick enough. I, I didn't. I don't think it overstated its welcome too much. I think it was just like the last, the last chunk. I was definitely like, let's just end. Like I think we got it. Sure. Okay. I mean, I get what you're saying. Just because, like, there is one moment here where it's just like, oh, that would be kind of a perfect ending for this. But I understand mm-hmm. why Miller went longer, and I, I, I actually really kind of applaud him for doing that. But I agree. Like I said, it does get a little kind of uh, clunky, a little flat-footed in certain respects. And, you know, ultimately, I admire the swing of it all. I mean, I'd, I'd rather he made the movie he wanted to make, even if it came with some fumbles. But, yeah, you do kind of wonder at the same time, like, yeah, what if it just nailed that? This would have been really like a tour de force kind of great movie. And as it is, it's more good. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I just am really appreciative of it. So I don't want to, like I said, I don't want to focus too much on negatives at the end here. I just want to kind of celebrate the fact that Miller made this kind of awesome, weird, scholarly, intimate bizarre movie and you know you know even if it's not going to make uh any money it's it's admirable they pulled it off so good for him probably won't uh win any if all like many or if how do i say this they probably won't win a lot of awards or anything probably won't get a lot of attention in that respect but yeah it's an interesting footnote of a movie interesting that it came Mm -hmm. out um but let's play the rotten tomatoes game so we have 158 reviews counted uh will ashton what's your guess did you say that you were spoiled on this one though um I think it might have been, but I honestly forget what it was. So perfect. <laughs> Let's go for um, it. My gut, and uh, if I get it right, we will say it's it's hammered. It's it's in my brain. If I uh, was spoiled, if I get it right, um, okay. I'm gonna say sixty nine percent. Nice, but no, um, it's a seventy two. It's a little bit higher. See, but the. The score that I saw was uh, 71 for the longest time, and then I think okay. it perked up a bit. Uh, all right, I was kind of close. I, I was in the ballpark. Yeah, yeah, just a yeah. couple points off. What about the audience score? We have 250-plus verified ratings. Hmm, that's trickier. 
Hmm. Did you have an audience for this film? I forgot to ask. Like, did were people out and about see it? Very few. Uh, when I when I came in, like nobody showed up to like the trailers. I don't think, and that was like five people maybe total. Okay, I had about like. Well, did you see a regular theater or Dolby? Regular. Ah, okay, that's that they didn't have it in Dolby. They're still oh. showing like Top Gun Maverick and Nope and Dolby <laughs> and all that. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, I was very grateful that they showed it in Dolby near me, and I, there were about like you know five or six people besides me in there, so like an okay crowd. You're you know, stalling. For, uh, but anyway, sorry. Um, I'm going to go low just because I feel like audiences, like you said, are going to be disappointed and probably expect something that this movie isn't. So I'm going to say 45%. Ooh, nope. It's 71%. Oh, We're wow. We're a pretty okay. so, even split. How about that? Yeah. 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 Like almost exactly the same. Almost. Almost. I've been a little bit surprised. Like I've been looking at the critics who like this and the critics who don't. And uh, actually, we'll look at that in a second. First cinema score. Uh, I did see a tweet about the cinema score. I don't know if you did. Uh, no, I am uh, completely unspoiled about cinema score. And this is Sweet. one of those cinema scores that literally, like, you could say any rating and I'd be like, yeah, it makes sense. Sure. <laughs> That's kind of um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go right down the middle and say C+. Uh, no, it's actually a B. All right. Well, that makes sense. It's kind of interesting, right? Like, I, I don't know. I, I, I can kind of see it. I can see people in Vegas being a little bit like, well, I, was, I got in, got out. I had a story to tell. Sure. It played the slots and it, it came up short, <laughs> but not that short. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> on Letterboxd, were... what about... Never yeah. mind. I'm not going to say what I was going to say. Uh, Letterboxd. Um... Yeah, we, we have 14,000 <laughs> views so far. Not a ton, but, you know, it, it'll probably be a climber. What do you think the average uh, rating is from zero to five? Is it three point two? Well, not too far off from that. Three point five, okay. which kind of okay, tracks. Well. I I feel like most of the people I follow on Letterbox gave it around like three and a half stars. Like I'm seeing some fours here, a handful of fives. Um, Kimber Myers, friend of the show, gave it a four. Um, Emma Sasek nice. gave it three and a half. Um, even uh, people people who aren't friends of the show, but we like them anyway, <laughs> are a little bit higher on this movie. The the only like super like negative reviews like I, I know the Robert Daniels gave it two, um, and then Sean Fennessy gave it like two and a half, which is kind of negative. But that's about it. Most people are sort of like on on board. I don't I don't see a lot of threes, which is interesting. Oh wow, um, yeah, yeah. Ours is, mine's a little bit more scattered. It's a lot of threes, a few two and a halves, um, you know, a decent number of three and a halves, a few four and a halves, a couple of fives, um. One, see, I don't one. see any four and a halfs. That's interesting. Uh, a few twos. One four and a half. Probably the same person. We're one of the same people we follow. So there you uh, go. Yeah, maybe so. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, there's no real consensus among my timeline, which makes sense. I like for that, me, though. That's that's telling, isn't it? I feel like that should tell you all you need to know <laughs> if you watch this. Uh, Corey Woodruff saw this, but he didn't He didn't put his little heart. So uh, I'm curious what that means. Oh, he's... Uh, he's definitely a fan. We were talking about it before. He's he yeah. He's okay. through the roof in love with this movie. He needs to review more on Letterbox. I don't, I'm tired of you know. Maybe he's just waiting. He's just like, if I don't say anything, John and Will will invite me onto the show. I think he'll have. He, he usually takes some time to write something, so it'll probably be up tomorrow when this episode is live. That's probably smart. It's, this is a this is definitely a thinker. This is a movie that I think is hard to sort of have like an instant reaction on. Like I, especially like after it, I I truly did not know 100 percent how I felt, which. Uh, is good. Uh, that movie should be like that more often, I think. Here's the tweet okay. that he wrote. Um, 
Actually, he wrote a few tweets, but I'll just read the one. He wrote, 3, body, years body, of longing. bodies is a... Okay. <laughs> uh, 3,000 Years of Longing is the exact kind of movie you can't afford to miss in a theater. A dreamlike, alluringly paced story about stories weaved by two actors at the height of their talents and by a director who knows exactly how to transport his audience. Big fan. Nice. Um, all right. That's Corey Widger's take. Let's, uh, we'll, we'll be back next week and we still haven't figured out what we're going to talk about. Uh, as we mentioned, you know, it, it could be like, I'd like to talk about rings of power or house of the dragon. Sure. Um, whatever. We could always do a fall movie preview, uh, mm. or we could do some random movie. Nobody's ever heard of, uh, to make sure. Will happy. Uh, yeah. if you're listening and you're sort of, you have a, a position, <laughs> uh, hit us up on Twitter. You can hit us up individually or, uh, just go to the Twitter and the show notes for cinemaholics and, uh, mm. let us know. Hey, we'll, we're super open to suggestions. Um, yeah, there, there are other movies like we, if you want us to do a late review of orphan first kill, I'd be open to that. Uh, sure. especially if it was prey, I feel like I really want to see that. I'm going to see it anyway, but yeah, mm-hmm. um, those are a few of our options. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, I guess we'll see. I don't know. I'd I'd rather not do another TV show just because I I like to respect the cinema and cinemaholics. <laughs> but you know, whatever. We'll follow the wind wherever it blows. We'll see what happens. Yeah, if you say so. I mean, I personally I like I like TV. Um, but uh, I get what you're saying. But I also. I feel like TV, sometimes TV can be cinematic in, in a similar way. And I feel like Rings I mean, of Power especially. Sure. I mean, We've I'm not going to deny... never talked about Lord of the Rings on here. I'm not going to deny that the Lord of the Rings, the Amazon show, is going to be a big event. Probably the event yep. of this upcoming week. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I just feel like... It's a slippery slope. You know, we talk about Stranger Things. We talk about the rehearsal. We talk about Lord of the Rings. Who knows what happens next? It's not that I'm against <laughs> TV. It's just that I don't want to keep this snowball rolling until we get to, like, we're talking about, you know, Love Island for several weeks on this show. <laughs> what are we, HBO Max's new CEO? All right. That'll do it for our show. Thanks so much for listening. From the Internet California, I'm John Negroni. And for Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Washington. See you next time. <laughs>